Welcome to Speaking of Strong Style, where we discuss the news, issues, and events surrounding New Japan Pro Wrestling. I'm Stephen Conway. With me, of course, is Jeremy Feinstone. We're contributors to the Fight Game Media Network, and uh, we have a lot to talk about this week. And we saw a very good Sakura Genesis event from Ryugoku Kukujikan, a sumo hall in Tokyo this past weekend. And it had a lot of news. It had a lot of angles. It set up a lot of things in the future. So, Jeremy, that was about uh, three and a half pretty tight hours that were very well spent. I enjoyed this. Uh, it sets up a lot of things. And I will admit that uh, there were some things here that really surprised me. A couple of things I did not have read correctly. And uh, it's uh, very pleasant to be surprised like that. And it gives me uh, a fresh perspective on maybe what Ghetto has in mind going forward. You know, this was, this was kind of one of those crossroad events for the entire, like, year of New Japan. Like, if Sonata won, you have a set-defined path. If Okada won, then for all intents and purposes, you've got Okada running the board for the next couple of years. Are those my two dogs getting a little wild in the background? <laughs> well, they have, a lot of, they have a lot of thoughts about Sonata as well. They were very excited about the finish. For sure. Uh, so... I am super excited that Kanata won this match. It is a breath of fresh air. And along with that, there were a number of things on this show that really changed what New Japan fabric is going forward in 2023. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I, like I said, I admit there were a couple of things I, I had correct and a couple of things I didn't. And uh, it, it's just interesting to see that uh, when it came down to it, that they went all the way with Sonata in this situation here. And uh, let's, uh, there it is. Uh, Scott I was Edwards talking here. up Sonata from the get-go, man. Yeah. I remember I was like, Sonata's got a chance to go a long way in this tournament. Yeah, well, Scott Edwards here, who was on our show when we did our picks, I remember when I made sure to keep voting for Sonata to advance mm -hmm. in the bracket, just in case. Never did I imagine. And uh, yes, and of course, uh, Brad, we're happy to have you along as well. Uh, watching at home and yeah it, it is a breath of fresh air it's something very interesting i i did not expect it i i absolutely picked sonata to lose this thing i figured well maybe this was the push winning the new japan cup and now he's leading a faction so to speak but they had bigger ideas in mind the question for... speaking i didn't want to believe i didn't want to get my hopes up because the last time i did was 2020 against kota Ibushi at the new at the g1 i think yeah the g1 and I wanted him to win, and he didn't. And I thought, like, well, if they weren't going to go with him then, I feel like they were never going to go with him. And so I just – I didn't want – I didn't want to learn how to love again, Stephen. <laughs> it, it, it just didn't feel like it at first, though, did it? And then uh, Okada just kept being arrogant and cocky and arrogant and cocky and more and more heelish to the point that you just thought, boy, if Sonata doesn't win this, he is going to look like a putz, which they've done before. You know, like they, they've, yeah. made, they've made guys look like putzes before. But uh, no, not this time. Uh, Sonata is not a putz. And here, DJ Convoy, I made a bet with a prominent person in the podcast, Newfield, for Sonata to go all the way. Well, DJ's cashing some tickets here. That's uh, – that's a nice pick. Uh, good job. Uh, I assume he's no longer a freelancer up. and they're free to push him. Yeah, I, I think he's – I don't think Sonata was uh, much of a freelancer there. I think they were, uh, I think that was always the, the way there with them. And uh, up, Scott Edwards says they needed to shave the beard. It was the secret. I, I tell you what, the glow-up helps a lot, and we're going to get into the new presentation of Sonata as well because it does make a difference. So are we stop it, starting at the top of the show? Yes, we are. And I just want to remind everyone that this is going to be a podcast available on uh, wherever you get your podcasts as well. Make sure you uh, subscribe, rate us, leave us a five-star review. It does help people find the show. We're going to talk about this show from top to bottom. We're going to talk about 
all the matchups that came out of it because a lot of things were set up out of this, including a completely new direction for Kazuchika Okada and a, a series of title matches coming at a series of big events. So there's a lot to look forward to here. We're going to get into all of that and uh, even talk uh, some AEW because uh, there's AEW news that uh, has a direct effect on New Japan, quite a bit of it, actually. So, uh, yeah, I I guess we can start at the main event. But, you know, for, for me, Jeremy, we got new music and new gear for Sonata. Yeah. He uh, comes out with uh, the shaved beard already. We saw that. Uh, it was a very uh, new version of higher energy music, I think, which helped. And uh, then energy. Yeah, yeah, and it's babyface music, yeah, and, and his his old stuff worked, but this is, uh, it, it's a different Sonata and that kind of, uh, it's not gothic, but that almost, uh, I don't he know, was uh, hot topic, and now he's mainstream. Yeah. yeah, there you go. That's a good way to put it right there. It did have kind of a, it did have kind of a goth feel to it right there, and so did his gear, and now it's a more brighter presentation. He's wearing a shinier green. Uh, trunks. Uh, the, the guy has uh, has always been in phenomenal shape, and boy, this match really showed how good it was. 26 minutes, 58 seconds, uh, almost a 27-minute match that did not feel like it was that long. So uh, let's get into this a little bit. Of course, the World Heavyweight title on the line right there. Uh, for the first 10 minutes, they were kind of feeling each other out a little bit there. Uh, it picked up a little bit when Okada pulled up the mats and uh, DDT'd Sonata outside the ring uh, on the, uh, when he pulled up the mats outside the ring. And that was, of course, a receipt for something that happened to him at Corican Hall where he got DDT'd on the floor. That tag yeah. match with Taichi and uh, Tanahashi, right? Exactly. And uh, there were a couple of really good, uh, really athletic spots from uh, Sonata. A couple of two leapfrogs and a drop kick. And he, this is the only guy in the business that drop kicks about as well as Okada does. And uh, there are a couple others, but they're, they're, it's a short list. And uh, Sonata can do it. We got all the big moves and all the big spots. I'm not going to break it down totally because, one, I want everybody at home to watch this thing. This is well worth your time. And also because we got a lot to get through. But uh, all the big moves and all the big spots, a couple of key kickouts. But we saw. Uh, the Rainmaker reversed into a deadfall. We have a name for the move now. It's the deadfall, which is a good name for that move right there, uh, which is, of course, that uh, new version of a, not of a DDT that he has. Uh, and uh, he got the pin, 26-58, and uh, it was an exciting finish and one that I don't think the crowd really believed they were going to get. And uh, once he hit that second deadfall, I think that was the moment three seconds before the finish that the crowd actually believed they were going to get a title change here. That's the way I interpreted it. What did you think watching this? I felt the same way. I, I, I don't know if it was palpable, but there honestly felt like the air was sucked out of the room. Right. Mm. When the referee can't went down for the pin on the three, they're like, is this going to happen kind of moment? Yeah. Because it was just, they have built up Sonata to be, uh, the football taken away from Charlie Brown with the Lucy for so long that it happened. And he's in just five guys. You, ha you have just gotten this stable. They are not, they have not been positioned to be this top level stable yet. And this was solidifying both the stable and Sonata almost at once. And it was just a really canny move. Just, just the way that they did it. They just, they didn't, they convinced you that he was such a loser for so long that when he had his opportunity to win, it was like you built up the baby face. There, 
he he's in no way Mick Foley, but this almost felt Mick Foley-ish. Like the the guy that you didn't think was gonna win the big one won the big one. And when the underdog wins like that, it's a magical, it's a magical moment. And what it was everybody was talking about it all weekend long. So let me ask you this. Yeah. Do you feel that Sonata is any kind of a long-term champion? This is the question I had for you. Is this a short-term run or a long-term run? As soon as that hand hit the mat, one of the first things I thought was, hmm, it's going back to Naito. <laughs> that was like one of the first things I thought. It was like, wow, they're going to take it. They're going to send it back to Naito. No, I don't see I don't see Sonata. He might get through G1 with this thing, but I'm not even convinced of that necessarily. Uh just got because three guys, I, right? I, he's things. not going to main event the Tokyo Dome, folks. This isn't that kind of a push for Sonata. Sonata's not going to the Dome with that belt. So they very rarely switch the title between, although they could, and it might be the year to do it, switch the title between the G1 and Wrestle Kingdom. But I just still, as much as I, I like Sonata, but he's not the most charismatic guy in the world. You got to sell tickets. I don't see Sonata main eventing Wrestle Kingdom. Certainly not against Will Ospreay, who he still thinks winning G1, right? I still think he's winning G1. I think the long-term play is Will Ospreay winning to close out Wrestle Kingdom 18 next year at the Tokyo Dome, and I'm going to be sticking to that for a while. Yeah, Gra- and, and I want to qualify that. That's if he's staying with New Japan. If it turns out he's not, then he might I lose still think that, that they might win and he could drop the title the next night at like New Year Dash <laughs> like they did with Omega and Tanahashi a few years ago. Well, that wasn't New Year's Dash. That was at the next big show. But yeah. <laughs> Notwithstanding, uh, it was... <sighs> he needs to face Naito. He needs to face Evil and potentially Shingo during this run as the champion. Uh, I just think for a number of reasons, those are matches that if... If you're serious about him as the champion, you need to have those matches somewhere in the catalog. And I don't know where and when, maybe in the G1. Uh, I think you're kind of on the money that maybe Okada gets a win over Sonata in the G1 to get a title shot at him uh, post G1. I think we're going to have four brackets instead of two. So if they're in the same bracket together or even in the semifinals, they face each other, that could be... uh, that could be a roadmap to how we get to potentially Okada versus Osprey in the main event. Um, but as it were, I don't totally rule out Kanata having a run all the way to Wrestle Kingdom if he is absolutely on fire. If he, if, if like just he blows all expectations out of the water, I'm not going to rule it out. But I really think it's Okada and Osprey at the G1. And this was a time that they could do this i think that there is meat on the bone that okada is continuing to turn heel and he is not in fact just being a grumpy asshole to everyone (laughs) he comes across i think there's an actual story to this and i think osprey is building to be the top babyface to win the title off of him and that is kind of just the whole layout of this and having sonata's champion going into forbidden door kind of frees up a whole lot of possibilities about who can face who and who can lose to who and what dream magic that you can have without consequence of who has what title. Sonata is kind about, of a wild card there. Yeah, we're going to talk about the short term for Okada because it's intriguing. And uh, Brad Reader here, uh, I want to say thanks for him. I also want to say hello to uh, Miguel for uh, showing up here too and joining us live. I'm loving the new attitude of Okada this year, writes Brad. Uh, and I have some fantasy booking for him this upcoming weekend. So, all right. Uh, and, and I like 
I kind of like where he's going with this. And we're going to talk about this because afterwards, now, uh, Sonata was uh, challenged immediately by Hiromu Takahashi, which makes sense. You know, he broke away from LIJ. Hiromu has always had bigger aspirations. He wants to be the flagship of the junior heavyweight division, but Hiromu's aspirations are to be uh, to carry the flag for the junior heavyweight division in a more prominent way. He said he wants the junior heavyweight title, the main event, Wrestle Kingdom. You know, he's always, he wants to be Liger is what he really wants to do. And he's doing it. He's, he's becoming that kind of a transcendent junior heavyweight star. So, of course, uh, Sonata broke away from his faction. He went, he wants to challenge him. And Sonata puts the obstacle in his way, says, well, you got to face uh, Yoshinobu Kanemaru first. So we'll get a really good uh, Hiromo Takahashi Kanemaru match. Before that, I fully expect uh, Takahashi to win it. So that sets up Hiromu and Sonata. Well, what that doesn't set up is a rematch. And of course, you know, New Japan doesn't like to do immediate rematches. You got to work to get back up there. And after the show, at, during backstage comments, Ren Narita, who has been on Okada's case ever since that rather embarrassing loss that Narita and Shoto Umino suffered to Okada and Tanahashi, came up to Okada as Okada is literally crawling out <laughs> He's on the floor, like you know, like doing the scoot butt back to his poor dr his dressing room, and uh, he's uh, beat to hell and can barely talk. And Ren Narita and I love this, Jeremy. God, I love this so much. I don't know if he had this idea or someone put the wine in his mouth. Man, it was great. He looked Okada in the eyes, looking down at him, and he's got his never open weight six man belt over his shoulder. He says, "When you were my age, did you run from anybody?" Oh. Oh man, that's good. I love that. And then Okada just kind of just looks down and he just says, I still want you to challenge for this title right here. And, and Okada kind of looked up and nodded a little bit and we're going to see something like that. And we're going to get into it. It's uh, it's coming. And uh, so, yeah, Okada uh, chasing after the never open weight six man titles. There's one you didn't have in your bingo card. I don't care who you are. And it's a fascinating matchup because it presents the idea of the heel Okada. If he teams up with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Tanahashi loses again, Brad mentions this. That's an opportunity for him to cement a heel turn. You turn on Hiroshi Tanahashi, you're a heel. And maybe it's time for that, isn't it? I, I think we're getting there. We're looking for the moment. And it's really going to be telling who's paying attention to New Japan and who isn't when it comes to like the reaction to the Okada heel turn. That it's honestly going to be a huge tell for a lot of people. And I'm not trying to call anybody out, but uh, if you've been paying attention to New Japan, they've been laying the groundwork mm -hmm. with Easter eggs all over the place. Even on Noah, you know, it's like wherever you saw Okada, there were hints of it. I think the only place that you didn't see totally overt notes of it was probably Battle in the Valley. Hmm. There you go. And uh, Miguel Rubio mentions... Uh, uh, Sakura Genesis is my first full show in years awesome show and it felt like pre-pandemic New Japan so that's a big thumbs up from Miguel and then Kenny Williams says a, a 9 out of a 10 for me really enjoyed it and uh, Tanahashi versus the Snake Okada is the ultimate heel versus baby rivalry and it's a uh, it's one they have done before where Okada was the upstart you know and he was the uh, snot-nosed newcomer that was challenging Tanahashi but the funny thing is by the time Okada beat Tanahashi, he wasn't really a heel anymore. Uh, the first couple of times he was, and uh, but Tanahashi beat him. You know, he, he upset Tanahashi when he first came back, and everyone's like, oh my God, what the hell is this? This guy just came back from excursion. And uh, then they had a couple of runs at the Tokyo Dome at Wrestle Kingdom where Tanahashi beat Okada, 
And the whole story was, you ain't ready, kid. You just ain't ready. They built up so much sympathy for Okada in the meantime that he wasn't really a heel when he beat him. So, uh, you know, it would be a real flashback way back to uh, the original or early Okada to be uh, a heel. And then it would just be a totally different thing with all that history behind him as being a dominant champion to have this guy now with a heel attitude would be uh, would be quite a difference. And yeah. And, you know, he was a baby face for most of that run, even with ghetto, you know, chaos was a heel faction and just slowly without a big angle turned baby face, just gained sympathy over those years. So yeah, it's a, it would be a nice twist. It would be a nice twist. Yeah. I, uh, I am. Um, I'm very curious to where this is going because this is probably one of the most compelling, uh, compelling stories that we got that are that have low key existing right now. And they've sort of abandoned the whole uh, Okada as Inoki thing, which was heavy for the first few months of the year because they went into that and leaned in hard as he's the new Inoki, even doing the the uh, the speech at the Tokyo Dome, him starting to use the Enzugiri and some of Inoki's key moves during matches. We didn't see any of that against Sonata. It was just a guy with a lousy attitude. And I'll tell you what else. I watched, and very briefly, on New Japan World, they have added those matches from the uh, Muda final bye-bye yes. show. Yes. And I got, to ma- I got to watch him against Kiyomiya, and I got to watch the uh, match with uh, Muto and Sa- uh, Naito, which was wonderful. And just a master class in a guy who physically can't do much, but knows how to use what he can do in, in uh, Keiji Muto. Uh, but that match was another one where he just worked heel. And he was a jerk that whole match. And, you know, when he beat Kiyomiya. So Okada certainly still has that in him. And maybe he just feels like this would be a fresher uh, start for him. And I, I'm anxious to see it if he, if he does, if he does this, I think it could be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. I, I hope this isn't a tease. I hope we are not just getting kind of balloon Okada for a little while and then back to what, what we know to be, but time to find out. We are, we are in the bright, bright stages of, of new Japan right now. So there's a lot going on here. So let's get down to uh, some of the other matches on this show. And uh, Hiromu Takahashi facing Robbie Eagles for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. Fun match. This is one we did have pegged. We did not think that Robbie was going to win this title off of uh, Hiromu and go into uh, Best of the Super Juniors coming up. (laughs) So uh, (laughs) – I'm bringing this up for the people that are listening. DJ Convoy writes, "Ugh, anything but balloon Okada." If you remember, Okada went through a bit of a crisis. Uh, he had some issues that he had to work out, and he was bringing balloons to the ring, and literally no one liked it. And I'm pretty sure that they were just trolling us to set up his <laughs> G1 win and the run later, uh, just to show that Okada had totally lost his marbles. And uh, yeah, he was. He's bringing... got range, Stephen. He's got range. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was good because you kind of knew that, okay, this isn't the real Okada. Like, when is he going to get his mojo right. back? And he did in the G1, and it was the correct time to do it. It was uh, This was not uh, Steve Austin singing with the guitar. That was just <laughs> a screw-up. Uh, that was just this an Taylor Okada actually wrestling in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's get to this junior heavyweight match. But uh, <laughs> uh, Hiromu uh, and uh, Robbie Eagles. So, of course, this match was totally worked around the entire the specter if you will, of the Ron Miller special. So that is the submission hold of Robbie Eagles. And Hiromu, of course, has to put over everybody in the preview tags. So he was getting his knee destroyed in every preview match, which is exactly what happened here. Hiromu went for the Ron Miller early just to, to 
try to psych out Robbie. But then Robbie went through a long segment where he was working on Hiromu's knees. Uh, very uh, long segment there. Most of the first 15 minutes, as a matter of fact, was was Hiromu having his knees worked over, although he would hit some moves back and forth. Once we finally got that Ron Miller special on, Hiromu sold it beautifully. Jeremy, I love the little touch he added in here of grabbing Red Shoes' referee shirt basically as a way to keep himself from tapping. He was so close to tapping that he just grabbed the shirt of the referee. The idea being, I can't tap if I'm holding on to this bastard, you know. So, and uh, there were a couple of times it looked like he did, and then he would plant his hand on the mat, like it's not a tap, it's just you know. He really sold it beautifully, and uh, at the 20 minute mark, he managed to get out of there, and they started hitting big moves on one another. Some of the more high impact stuff that Hiromu does, uh, you know, destroyer into the turnbuckle and things like that, and then uh, dynamite plunger and the time bomb too. He did get the win. I still feel like TMDK is exactly the right spot for Robbie. I think it's a yeah. good move for him to get. He was fourth on the Chaos Hantai depth chart at this point. Uh, here he's in a much better spot. He's also headlining some of these Tamashi shows they're doing in Australia in a week. So putting him should, in a prominent spot. Be, you know, the Super Juniors, Matt, the Super Juniors tournament, he's going to be a great spot there. Yes. Uh, I think I think he hit the nail on the head. It was a great spotlight match for him. I think we're at a point with Hiromu where he's got to be innovative with how he's preventing himself from tapping out because he finds himself in the baby face and peril spot so many times. If he's going to tap out to the submission or the pin that he's literally got to come up with new ways that he's never done before in order to keep the innovation going. And so we're at a grab the ref to stop himself from tapping. level. <laughs> it's escalating, Steven. It is escalating. <laughs> we need to have Hiromu prevention tap watch in the future to see what other things happen. <laughs> in the future. He's a clever guy. <clears throat> But uh, let me ask you this then. Yeah. Especially because I'm losing my voice a little, but it'll be okay. Do you see him? Was it four peating in the best of the super juniors this year? He He's the champion going in. Usually that's not how it goes. But uh, Hiromu is anything but the normal junior heavyweight for them. I mean, you, you've mentioned before, you feel like this guy walks to be Liger. And. This is kind of, again, a crossroads arena. Like, is he going to be the guy to go four times in the best of the Super Juniors, or are they going to make another guy uh, with all of this talent that seems to be all over the place popping out in New Japan? You got Teton and LIJ. You got uh, Robbie Eagles and TMDK. You got Leo Rush, Sho, and Yo. They're all, like, somewhat rejuvenated. This, this best Desperado's here? Desperado. Desperado. I mean... And you That's got pick, the other people like uh, Ace Austin, Chris Bay, <laughs> potentially Speedball Mike Bailey, you know, guys that people are starting to like salivate in some way, shape or form coming over here. There is a real opportunity for some dream matches. But at the same time, is, is Hiromu just going to be the Lord and King and Savior of all things junior heavyweight in the New Japan division? Or is, is he going to be more of a, a guy that can be put in any match anywhere Maybe not for the title right now, but uh, along the lines of, you know, you could have him in a match tagging with Shingo for in the World Tag League kind of thing. Is that kind of the direction that we're going? We're going to find out with this Super Junior Tournament because every year we say, like, is this the year they pivot away from Hiromu? And every year that they don't, Mm -hmm. it legitimately feels like he is more and more a cornerstone of that specific alley of New Japan. He's the closest thing to Liger we've seen since Liger. Like no yeah. one, they've pushed people before. They pushed Kushida, the hell out of Kushida, and he had some great runs, but no one's been 
on this level. And he, he's very special. I still think that they're going to create somebody off of this one. I, and it, it could be Desperado's year to finally win the thing. I know we've seen Desperado versus Hiromu, but are we going to complain about getting that match again? And uh, as far as the best of Super Juniors, I'm going to mention a couple of guys that we just saw at Fantastica Mania that I'd love to see in there too, is Atlantis Jr. Soberano Jr. I think would be wonderful additions yeah. to this thing too. So there, there's so many good juniors out there. And the best part about it is, Almost all of them work for companies that New Japan works with. <laughs> there yeah, are this- some. In, there are some in AAA. There are some in WWE that are excellent. That's not uh, a slide on anybody, but uh, uh, you know, uh, Dragon Lee, uh, Hiromu's wrestling soulmate, unfortunately. But uh, right now, CMLL, Impact, uh, going to be a AEW, Ring of Honor. There's just so many choices. The sound box is going to be so big, and the treasures that you're going to find in it this year is going to be wild. And so I am super excited for you know, the upcoming things that we have. It seems like Hiromu is kind of pivoting away from the uh, the junior heavyweight division, at least going into the best super juniors, because he got uh, a couple of matches lined up. Maybe, you know what? Let's not rule out Kanemaru. We'll talk about that in a little bit. But okay. he okay. has a match with Kanemaru going into the super juniors. And uh, just five guys are going exactly a cold stable right now. <laughs> No, they're doing well, but let's take a look at another one that uh, we were actually 50-50 on this one, uh, Jeremy, the IWGP heavyweight tag team title match. We had Aussie Open and Bishamon, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi. Uh, We've said many times in this show that Jeremy and I are in agreement on one uh, thing in particular. We agree on a lot of things, but one thing in particular is that Aussie Open is a future of tag team wrestling right now. And what we got was the ascension of Aussie Open over Bishamon. Goto and Yoshihashi are excellent guys to put other guys over and they do it a lot, you know, some, maybe even a little bit too much, but they're so good at it. And they kind of hamstring themselves because they keep having these great matches where they bring out the best in these guys. And you saw an excellent match here that almost went wrong early, Jeremy, because Kyle Fletcher hit an Oriara moonsault. That's a moonsault from the top of the uh, turnbuckle to the floor. That's uh, Masao Orihara was a terrific wrestler in the 90s that pioneered that uh, rather dangerous move. So uh, Charlotte probably has the most famous one out there now. And uh, anyway, Kyle Fletcher did this move and uh, it went fine, except he, when he landed, he hit his dang head on the, the, uh, the barricade, the metal barricade right there and split his head open. So thankfully, uh, he was all right. He was bleeding, but that just kind of added to things a little bit. But as was the there was a dusty rose line, fortuitous juice. Uh, it was there. definitely fortuitous. Add, added to the atmosphere a little bit. <laughs> and uh, of course, you know, this was just a terrific match between four guys that know how to work together. They have many times. They've done a lot of previews with one another. Uh, Goto went on a big run. Uh, at GYW, he had a one-man Shoto on Kyle Fletcher, but Davis made the save. A lot of big moves and a lot of really good saves in this one. Uh, double Alabama slam on Goto. Goto's not an easy guy to Alabama slam. That's a big man. And uh, it worked. And then Yoshihashi made the save there. But finally, after about 15 minutes, we had the front back clothesline. So Aussie Open kind of squished Goto's chest there with a clothesline in the front, Crush clothesline him. in the back. Crush and then the, cor- <laughs> then, then, then the Coriolis to win it. And uh, just to terrific yeah it really looks good and what's nice is that it's it's a double team move that they can give to almost anyone because they're strong enough to get again go to a big dude and they managed to 
do the Coriolis quite easily on him. 15 minutes, 30 seconds. Aussie Open, the new IWGP World Tag Team Champions, and uh, not a complaint in the book about this one. I love Goto and Yoshihashi. I think they're a terrific team. I think it's time for this, though. DJ Convoy. He writes, I admit to not being fully on board of the Aussie Open train, but after this match, I finally get it. DJ Convoy, come join us in the Church of Aussie Open. They are the <laughs> tag team of 2023, and there is room on this train for everybody. I have power, so I write it. Aussie Open tag team of 2023. Spoken, it is real. Uh, frankly speaking, Aussie Open has been fantastic. Since probably around the this time last year, quietly just having good matches on New Japan Strong, just not not making waves in any bad way other than just like, wow, these are these are some solid matches that these guys are having. And then they won the strong titles. And then you kind of had your eyebrows raised when they almost immediately dropped the strong titles to Motor City Machine Guns around October. At the uh, at at the Halloween show in New Japan in New York. Yeah, boy, is there an interesting match for those titles coming up? We're going to talk about here yes. later. So then they get the World Tag League, and they are great in World Tag League. And it's just yeah. one of those like, when are you? When are you just going to go all the way with these guys? And so my prediction: Aussie Open Tag Team of 2023. We're just living in their world right now. Every time that they are in the ring, it just seems like they are making a name for themselves more and more. And as much as uh, there are other tag teams that want to say that they're the best in the world right now. This is the tag team that's actually showing it. Worth mentioning, by the way, Aussie Open had a very busy WrestleMania week, oh appearing goodness. in a lot of shows and a lot of good matches, then fly all the way to Japan and have this one. So uh, not the only people making that trip, but boy, they've been very busy. And uh, it's because word is out. And, and it reminds me, their World Tag League, uh, reminds me of Adam Page's really good G1, where afterwards you're like, oh, this guy isn't a mid-carder at all. This guy could be a top guy. And uh, it took a little while just because of various circumstances there. But now Adam Page is one of the biggest stars in North America. And Aussie Open had that run there. It, it just shows if you have consistent, great matches in that atmosphere, that new what that's what New Japan can do for you. It can make people really notice because it's such a high level of work. If you're able to do that night after night in a tournament, it, it, it'll open a lot of people's eyes. And because you have to do it at such a high level with so many different opponents in such a condensed amount of time, it's a true test of. Uh, a team or an individual's work and uh, passed with flying colors. And now they're at the top of the heap and uh, I I'm happy for them as well. And it's worth uh, noting a flaming shark has uh, the two best teams in the world. In my opinion, won their uh, respective companies tag team titles last week. So maybe Aussie open FTR two in Toronto. Anytime those four want to go in and wrestle, I am in for it. And another thing that Brad reader mentioned was Kyle Fletcher and Kevin Kelly had a very genuine uh, interaction after the match there on the microphone where uh, Kevin said some very nice things to him. Kyle was magnanimous there, and that was a, a real nice moment. You can tell that, that this meant a lot to um, that audience wanted it too. Let's make it clear that audience yeah. was hot for off the open at that show. Like you know, Genesis, United, they they wanted they these guys are the stars. United Empire's over. Right? Great yeah. O'Conn gets a good reaction from everybody, you know, and he and he kind of plays this. Uh, I don't, know, I don't even know how to explain it. Okan's, you know, super arrogant personality. and But nevertheless, people just eat it up. And it's because they know he's a good guy because he saved that girl, right? So they, I think uh, that's they have part done, of They've done very well to quietly turn United Empire more faith and Okada <laughs> heelish at the same time. So that when the pendulum swings, you're like, oh, wow, huh? I didn't, I didn't see that. Come. But 
but it's been happening. So That's don't right. be surprised. And Jeff Cobb is over to Flaming Shark here Ooh. joining us as well. Good to see Flaming Shark. And uh, oh yeah, we're gonna get to Jeff Cobb because he had he had a he had a moment uh, at this show as well. So let's get boy, we're so much to talk about on this show, Jeremy. My God. Okay, uh, the IWGP World Television Title: uh, Zack Saber Jr. and Shota Omino. This is one I had pegged a little bit wrong, and I will admit that they're doing a slower burn with Shota Omino than I thought mm-hmm. they were going to. I, I thought they were about ready to spring him on us a little bit here. And uh, but no, we're still with uh, Zach and considering the matches that Zach has coming up. okay. one thing to mention very quickly before we move on from the tag team thing. I just thought of this Hmm. backstage comments. Zach Sabre Jr. interrupted uh, Aussie Open celebration and uh, challenged on behalf of TMDK's Shane Haste and Mikey Nichols. So we're Mm -hmm. going to be seeing that match next to see who the dominant tag team in Australia is, because that's four Aussies that are having a great year. So we'll have that uh, match card somewhere in the future on on our our list of to-do here. We're going to get that. We're going to get to that. And then, yeah, so anyway, speaking of Zach, that's what reminded me of all that, because Zach's the one that made the challenge since uh, Haste and Nichols weren't there. Uh, defeated Shota Umino. And, of course, they put the time limit over early, 15-minute time limit, uh, with a lot of uh, quick starts and pin combinations. Uh, Zach worked on the arm. Uh, Umino kept getting these little flash roll-ups and things. Uh, finally hit a Death Rider for two. Story of this match a little bit, Jeremy, was that Shota needs something other than the Death Rider. It was brought up in commentary. He hit the move, didn't win with it. Uh, he had that package DDT that went into a Death Rider attempt, but that was countered into a backslide, float over bridge, as only Zack Sabre can really do. Uh, so flexible, that guy, and he makes it look easy. Uh, and plus, it helps that he's so gangly. He's got those long arms and limbs. He can do things like that. Got the bridge to get the pin. Very, very good match. Uh, up next for Zack Sabre Jr. is Tom Waller, which is coming up this weekend. Uh, I thought that maybe they were ready with Shota Umino. But I'm starting to come around to your way of thinking on this, Jeremy, that not yet, and that maybe he will get a big moment in G1, not winning G1, but getting a win you wouldn't expect him to get perhaps in G1, and it's going to be a slower build with Shota than uh, maybe more that than a launch. Yeah, I, th- I think that's generally right. Um, that's kind of how I've been feeling, and this kind of kind of confirmed that way, I think, at least for now. I thought it was really interesting the way that Zach treated Shota both before and after this match. So he was incredibly, incredibly disrespectful to Shota. Did you see the uh, did you see the video clip of him grabbing his TMDK jacket and waving it as if Shota were a bull because he loves his Death Rider jacket and Moxley so much that he needed so much. Come here, little Shota. Come here. Come here. Come on, you got it. But it was contrasted by the fact that he was hugely respectful to Shota after the fact. That he he believed fully in Shota's wrestler. And this has been happening in their feud this entire time. Is that he looks at Shota like, all right, you're the real deal. And I... I find it interesting, and I wonder, are they laying the groundwork for Shota to join TMDK? Is that something that they could do? You know, like, they're, it's not completely out of the question, but, you know, when when people are showing alliances and friendliness to people who they shouldn't normally do, it's something to pay attention to. It happened with Sonata and Taichi, and it led to, you know, a very big story down the line. So, who knows? Uh Flaming Sharks got it right. He's establishing the the TV title. And uh, he does the dickhead thing 
incredibly well. We were talking about that last week. So I think he'll be holding on to the title. I think he'll be going to Ring of Honor and Impact and all these other stateside shows, AEW, like uh, AEW, just as a representative and doing matches with these folks because Zach Sabre Jr. has got no ego. He just likes to wrestle around the world. And uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm here for it. And he can have that title as long as he fucking walks. The after uh, effects of this one, I mentioned the Tom Lawler thing. He's also going to be wrestling Jeff Cobb. And they have not named the Cobb match as a TV title match right now. It is still set up as a special singles match that could be for kayfabe purposes because he has a title match before the Cobb match. We don't know if the Cobb Zack Saber match down the road is going to be for that TV title yet or not. As of now, no. But uh, Zack Saber Jr. against uh, Tom Lawler should be very interesting, and Zack against Cobb. Uh, that's 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 a lot of arm and leg to twist around into uh, various holds. We'll see what uh, Zach can do with that. Meat, now, meat and bones. <laughs> here was uh, one of the best matches on the doggone show now was the match for the IWGP Women's Championship. And Jeremy, I was so looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. And uh, w- there's a comment here on uh, in the, the YouTube here, and it's from... Uh, Flaming Shark here. He says, Sacro Genesis, great show. My favorite match was probably the three-way, but I'm a huge Azumi fan and Hazuki and Mercedes, uh, fantastic as well, hyped for Best of Super Juniors and Duntaku, so thanks for Flaming Shark there. Worth mentioning because for the type of match this is, well, it was, they picked the exact right two people to get in there with Mercedes Monet because 13 minutes, 53 seconds. They gave it time to breathe. A lot more mm-hmm. better than said that we know. I think we can move on. We were hoping from, 12 to 15, right? Yes, we did. Yeah. And we can move on from the Tokyo Dome thing uh, where they didn't get enough time. They're start. They're giving them time. And I love Mercedes is probably a big part of that. She's a star. The question was, can Mercedes work this type of match? Because if you really look at it, Jeremy, Mercedes has never had to do a high-speed style match. It's not the type of match they do in WWE. It's not the type of match that she and Kyrie had. That one was more of a main event, grinded-out style. This was a stardom-style, high-speed thing, and they brought in only two of the very best they have at it, in Azumi and Azuki, and this was fantastic. Monet was right in there with them. And, of course, uh, you know, like I said, when you have two of the best working with you, that's always helpful. But Mercedes wasn't being carried here. She no. was absolutely as quick as them. She was in on all these little combinations. And keep in mind, there's a language barrier, and they flowed right through it. did not look like there were any uh, little stumbles along the way or anything. A lot of great pinning combinations uh, and a lot of great moves leading into doing moves onto other people in the middle of moves. I mean, it was just really clever, some of these little spots here. Uh and again, unfortunately, we, we have to move on. Uh, we, we have to get all this news in. But <laughs> it ended up being the moneymaker, which is that's the name of her move. That's the one where she kind of has everybody, you know, up on her back and swings around into a kind of a DDT. And uh, the moneymaker on Azumi onto Hazuki in order to win it. Uh, so that is all uh, a terrific match. Uh, they were given time. They shined. Another thing I like about this, uh, Jeremy, and I hope uh, Scott Edwards agrees with me here, because, of course, Scott, who's watching earlier and commented, uh, is the uh, host of the Five Star Joshi Show and knows so much. He's just a wealth of knowledge and information about Joshi wrestling. I love the fact that they are bringing in different people. We're not seeing the same women from stardom all the time. 
they're bringing them in in great ways. We saw things like Starlight Kid and Natsupoi and and, thing, and and others at historic crossover. Now we're seeing Azumi and Hazuki who hadn't been highlighted like this. And I think New mm -hmm. Japan fans are really getting the idea that well, there's a lot of really good women <laughs> in stardom. And uh, and I like that they featured them. I like the I love the match that they had. And then of course Mayu Iwatani, the all-time stardom legend walked into the ring and challenged Mercedes Monet, got slapped for her efforts. But, uh, of course, that just sets up a monster stardom show in Yokohama that's going to feature Tam Nakano and uh, Julia for the World of Stardom title. A lot of other big matches. I'm not going to go over all of them. Listen to the Five Star Joshi Show. Scott's going <laughs> to tell you everything you need to know. And uh, But Mayu Iwatani and Mercedes Monet is the biggest match stardom has. And we're going to get it in Yokohama. And I can't wait and this is just more evidence that mercedes is the complete package she worked a high speed match she's mm -hmm. never done before in a big spot and she was brilliant i you've covered the main point and there's a couple of things that people have written on here scott edwards he will say repeatedly about the fact that hazuki didn't get pinned with getting the loudest reaction of the night Boy, she was something great. and then uh flaming shark uh wrote it was honestly a bigger test for mercedes than the Kyrie match and she passed with flying colors now she's ready to go and have the legendary match with my so sure. here's how it was for me. I sat down and I watched this match and I was leaning forward when, I, when the match started. And there was about 30 seconds into it with a, a sequence, uh, a high-speed sequence where they all rolled through, uh, running the ropes, just, just doing general stardom high-speed moves. And she hung with them to the point where I'm like, I sat back and I'm like, all right, we're in for a show. So that was basically it. It's like from that point on, I was like, all right, let's do this. And Everybody delivered. This was a match that that continued to solidify that Mercedes, the confidence that she has in herself as a performer, is not unfounded. She is one of the best in the world. She can hang with anyone, and the more that she gets under her belt, this style of matchup, she is she is going to thrive and get even better. I'm going to ask you: Did you see the press conference video of of Mercedes and uh, Mayu this morning that that aired? No, no, I haven't seen the one with her and Mayu yet. I have not seen the one. So what happened was is they did their they did their thing, and Mercedes then slaps Mayu, gives her the move onto a disposable table uh, right behind her, and then puts her knee on her face with the title and proceeds to cut a promo about how she's the queen of wrestling and come at me. And uh, as Scott put it, if you find on his Twitter, he was uh, portraying uh, Iwatani as the underdog is probably the best play in this, yeah. in this matchup. And that is exactly what they're doing. And if you get a chance to search out the stardom Twitter with this footage, it's about two minutes. It's tremendous. And if you're not sold on the match based off of this, I really don't know what to tell you. It's an interesting point here, too, that uh, this show that's coming up, I want to make sure we, we give it its due because that whole sequence with Manet and Iwatani, I feel like this is the biggest women's show, and Scott said it, it's the biggest women's show in decades. Yeah, probably since the Dream Slam shows in the 90s, which is funny because it's I think it's like the 30th anniversary of either the first one. Eh, don't quote me on that one. But there were these Dream Slam shows that were called and it was a combined effort of several Joshi companies, mostly the uh, All Japan Women, which was the dominant one in that era, and then JWP, which was an excellent promotion as well. And uh, some of the best matches of that era came out of those uh, cross-promotional 
uh, matches. And uh, we got, let's see, it was, jeez, uh, yeah. There, I mean, there was a tag match with uh, Mayumi Ozaki and mm. Dynamite Kansai against Manami Toyota and uh, Toshio Yamada. Those are, there were three of those matches. And, and uh, I held up, I did this and I said three. There's three of those matches. Um, <laughs> I, I'll work on I'll work on colors and shapes next, but we'll get the numbers down there. And uh, I just held up two fingers when I said three. I don't know what's wrong with me. Uh, they had three of those matches. All three of them were brilliant. I think Shinobu Kandori was against Toyota. And Dave Meltzer talked about a little bit about this on Wrestling Observer Live. It was the 30th anniversary. But it feels like the biggest women's show since then. And uh, having New Japan a part of it and things. And you saw the talent of Azumi, who's the high speed champion. She's I'm sure is going to be a big part of that show. Uh, I I'm Hazuki is wonderful. She's always been at the level just below the top women in stardom, but I don't think that's going to be forever. And uh, yeah, just, just great stuff. I, I just had such a happy feeling coming out of that. Uh, and uh, I, I think that's going to carry over to a very big show for Bushi road. Uh, of course, the parent company of both new Japan and stardom in Yokohama. Uh, I wouldn't argue if someone said it was their favorite match on the show, second favorite match on the show, or third favorite match on the show, but it was one of the top matches on the show. And uh, yeah, uh, Grand Queendom in both attendance and uh, they will pull in an importance in decades, no doubt. Yeah, there's going to be some great stuff on there. Flaming Sharks, absolutely right. And so Scott, so, uh, you know, uh, we'll be talking about that as it comes because it's going to have a big impact. So, boy, 45 minute kid, Bullet Club is fine. Everything's okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's the next one, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay. So this was our big angle of the night. Well, we had a lot of big angles, but this is the, a monster one here. So we had uh, El Fantasmo, Kenta, and David Finlay Jr. This went exactly as well as we thought it was going to for this team. We figured that there would be some sort of resolution to this uh, ongoing story. They faced Master Wado, Hikaleo, and Tamatonga. Set up basically half of a card off of this uh, this one match. Uh the match itself wasn't that important. Eight minutes and 46 seconds. It was fine. It was the usual act with Finlay and ELP during the match where they are crossing each other up. They are tagging each other with slaps and chops instead of tags. And uh, what they had was Master Watto run wild on everyone for a little bit and get a lot of shine in because he was going to end up taking the pen. And that came off of ELP, who got the victory for his team. Afterwards, though, the angles began. We had... Finlay hitting Tamatonga with the never open weight title belt. We saw that one coming. Kenta chop blocks Hikaleo, beat down ensues there. Kenta has a title too. He has a strong belt. So maybe something will come from that. Uh, ELP tries to pull David Finlay off of Tamatonga, saying enough is enough. But Finlay hammered him with the shillelagh. That's when Crack I knew it was doomed when he was like, enough is enough. I'm like, oh no. Yeah. You show morality and bullet club, you're boned, bro. <laughs> the shillelagh, by the way, they mentioned this in backstage comments, is like the uh the equivalent of the eject button in Bullet Club now. So if you get hit with the shillelagh, you're out. Jay White got clobbered with it, ELP got clobbered with it, and uh there Do was not collect two hundred dollars, go directly to jail. And at first, uh, Kenta seemed a little ambivalent, but instead, no, nah, that dirty little bastard. He picks up uh, ELP, gives him the GTS. 
Taiji Ishimori comes out. I don't think anybody in that building thought Ishimori was saving ELP. I know he tried to make it look like he was going to, but I think there was a moment of like, out. oh, he might actually defend. No, no, he's not. No, no. no. <laughs> so uh, the entire Bullet Club that was in the building that day basically turned on uh, on uh, poor ELP at that point. He's out. And uh, Finlay said he has already picked ELP's replacement in the uh, backstage comments. So maybe something, uh, maybe something coming there, but uh, ELP now looks like a full fledged uh, baby face. We'll see who he ends up aligning with in the, the near future. But uh, you know, those, the matches with Kenta will be great. ELP versus Ishimori will be terrific. ELP versus Finlay will be pretty good. Uh, so a nice little change of uh, scenery for Phantasmo who the crowd was starting to like anyway. Yeah, no, everything, everything was just kind of like, it all felt mechanical. Like I didn't feel anything for the for the face turn clash betrayal about ELP other than just like, all right, it's time. I'm cool with all of this. Look, look, now we got some stuff going on, kind of thing. It, it I I get the emotional resonance wanted to be hit, and I and I'm not sure that they did, but it was it was purely academic for me that they needed to move on to the next phase of, you know, the story. So it looked like. What we got ELP and Finley at Wrestle Kingdom in some way, shape, or form next year with everything going on here, and that's that's a fine route for both of them to have. And for the never open weight title, perhaps. Sure, there you go. You know that that just kind of feels like a journey that we could get to after all is said and done. I don't see Finley in the world title picture. We were talking about him getting the never open weight title shot weeks ago out of the New Japan Cup bracketing. So it just feels like things are manifesting. It just took a little bit more time for it to happen because, you know, we had to get the ELP chapter written before we get there. So, you know, maybe ELP cost Finley the never open weight title. There's also that factor, you know, but I do think that these two are probably going to be tied together <laughs> and like we have seen the blueprint for what their the rest of 2023 is for ELP and Bullet Club. I think there's a decent chance they magically end up in the same uh, <clears throat> in the same uh, bracket of G1 block block of G1. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. We had just five guys. This is another match that set up a whole lot of other matches down the road. Doki, Kanemaru, and Taichi against uh, Bushi, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito. Uh, this was. A pretty good match. A little too much comedy early by Takamichi Noko on here. Attempted comedy, anyway. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but this one ended with a triple submission. Basically, Kanemaru tapped out Bushi while uh, Taichi had uh, Takagi line, uh, tied up. Doki was working on Naito. And uh, in the end, there was a bit of foreshadowing with Kanemaru getting the uh, victory, as it turns out. <clears throat> Afterwards, Doki choked out Naito and challenged him to a one-on-one match, mano a mano, since they both speak Spanish. And then uh, Shingo and Taichi squared off for the King of Pro Wrestling title. We're going to be seeing all those special singles matches coming up here soon. So it makes sense. Lij and just five guys with the Sonata connection, of course, mm-hmm. uh, being that these two these guys will be rivals. I like that Doki is getting a little bit of an elevation. He doesn't have to win this match to to be elevated on the card facing Naito. And Shingo and Taichi did some very interesting things with the KOPW title last year. Mm-hmm. I'm not heartbroken about seeing that again. <clears throat> so, yeah. Uh, thumbs you up also got Kanemaru lined up with uh, Romu in a couple of weeks as well. He wasn't in this match, but Bushi was kind of a proxy for him because of the, the other matchup. So, you know, it's like they are doing everything in their power to legitimize just five guys. You know, putting them in programs uh, – 
I, I was pretty amused when I saw our boy Do, uh, Doki is getting a program with Naito. I don't know how it's going to fare for him, but hey, sometimes just getting an invite to the show is, is, yeah. is, is a big deal. No, I think that's true. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's 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 a step up for him. And that yeah. he used to be the guy that did the jobs for Suzuki, and so. So I uh, I'm excited for the direction going forward with this one for sure. Doki Mania running wild. All right, <clears throat> up next we had uh, the uh, yeah we're up to the United Empire, which is Francesco Akira, Aaron Hanare, and Jeff Cobb facing off against the House of Torture. And uh, this is pretty much a standard House of Torture match to the point that Kevin Kelly and Chris Charlton were doing jokes the entire match about a house of torture drinking game uh because they do the same spots in every match pretty much it's true uh but the uh cool spot of the night i thought was the finish which was jeff cobb giving show a tour of the islands while dick togo was on his back now uh we know that jeff cobb is an insanely strong human being uh and uh, perhaps superhuman and Seeing this, though, was a new way to demonstrate that. So I appreciated the innovation on this, giving a tour of the islands to show with Togo on his back and everybody going for the ride at once was uh, an entertaining way to end an eight-minute uh, match that gets Jeff Cobb over, a course, so that he can get in the face of Zack Sabre Jr. And rehabilitates him immensely after losing to Omega, which no man, one is going I don't to think lose that hurt anything too much, from man. Omega. But, man, they made him look like a beast after that match as well. Yeah, like. Yeah just really putting him over strong. So they were, if he lost anything, they tried to get it back real quick. There you go. And then, uh, you know, the opener for this one was a match that was way more interesting than it should have been. Jeremy, uh, this was Minoru Suzuki, Toru Yano and the great Okan against Hiroshi Tanahashi, El Desperado and yo. Now we've got to explain these, this, uh, lineup here. So this was the, uh, Shinichi champion grand prix celebration match. Shinichi Champion is another competition show in Japan, and it was all a tie-in. And apparently, they had the host of that show. Uh, the storyline being that she picked these teams, mm-hmm. and we only found out who was going to be teaming with who as the music hit. And apparently, this woman hates Toru Yano because she just set up a match to torture the poor man. Uh, <laughs> his his greatest enemy is the Great Okan. He can't stand the Great Okan. The Great Okan had to cut his hair because Yano tied it to the barricade that one time. Minoru Suzuki and Yano have been tormenting each other for years. Uh, the, the, Yano is the one that usually steals points from Suzuki back when Suzuki used to do G1s. Uh, he would find some way to get Suzuki counted out or he would end up you know, hogtied with, with athletic tape or something absurd. <laughs> so here he is, teaming with his worst enemies. Hiroshi Tanahashi has two guys that hate each other, El Desperado and Yo uh, on his team. These rarely work this well. This was a lot of fun. So... You had Yano. <laughs> Yano won't tag in Suzuki because he's scared of him. Suzuki and Okan literally fight to decide who's going to start the match for their team. You have Tanahashi can't get Yo and Desperado to even look at each other. You got Desperado and Suzuki just happily beating the shit out of each other. Right, but wrestling clean and shaking <laughs> yeah. hands. You know, they're having the time of their lives. At the end, Tana is yelling at his guys, trying to get them to work together. So Tana's trying to direct, direct traffic. He has Desperado hold Yano. Okay, we got that. Yo, throw the super kick. Yo throws a good super kick. Sounds like a great plan. Yano ducks. Yo doesn't super kick Desperado, but just punches him in the mouth. Because screw him anyway, right? Desperado says, you little runt, and grabs him around the neck. Tanahashi goes in to break up his two teammates because he's sick of all of this stuff. Yano shoves Tanahashi from behind into the whole pack. The referee ducks. 
Yano goes right for the ambags, of course, right in the ding ding, as Kevin Kelly likes to call it. And once again, Kevin uh, Kevin's monitor goes out. Uh, roll up for Yano. He pins Tanahashi, and it was just a lot, a lot of fun. And then afterwards, Yano was just running around apologizing profusely to Tanahashi for for hitting him in the nuts. Uh, again, n- nothing consequential in this one, Jeremy. But I had a lot of fun watching. Yeah, it was it was a fun opener, and there's really not much to add other than it was just bullshit shenanigans, and I was here for it, especially since it was fun and forgettable in a show that didn't have any really bad matches or egg no. matches. That when you look back and you see that this is your comedy match, kind of like a heater match, you're like, all right, cool, you're in for a fun show, and that, that's what it was. It was the intro to a fun show. I don't think there's anything really to take away from it other than, you know, we got another Mystery Vortex match, and you know how much I love a Mystery Vortex match. Uh, 6,510 at Ryugoku Kujikan there, Sumo Hall. That's in the middle of uh, what it was doing before the pandemic and post-pandemic. Still some restrictions on how many people can sit in those little boxes they have. Sit on the floor at Sumo Hall. It's a very different thing. Uh, And uh, they have seats up in the... Uh, the orchestra section and then up in the balcony that when I went there and watched sumo wrestling, I was up in the, I was in the, the, the high up seats. Uh, I'm not going to call them the cheap seats. They were not, but uh, they were, uh, I was up pretty high and uh, the regular seats up there, but in the main thing, like on the hard camera, when you see the crowd in the background, they're sitting on the ground in these little boxes that are really made for about four people. And uh, I think the either one or two were allowed in them. So there's quite a bit of the ringside seats that they were not allowed to have at full capacity. So 6,510, but a relatively hot 6, uh, 510. That was a, the crowd was into just about everything there. Yeah. Uh, it was a great show. Uh, it wasn't, you know, a full show. It's not New Japan all the way back, but the cheering was palpable. The audience was hot. And uh, we're, we're heading into the summertime with the G1 and the best of the Super Juniors and, all these other big shows that are coming. And I feel like we are, we're in for a boom period with New Japan moving forward. It's worth noting too, Jay White, uh, IWGP former uh, world heavyweight champion has joined up with AEW and he appeared on dynamite last week. Of course, Juice Robinson's part of that organization as well. Uh, And uh, what is interesting about that, of course, is uh, we see uh, Jay not in WWE. He's over there in a company where, uh, you have things like Forbidden Door type of shows right there. So maybe we might just see him against some of our favorite New Japan stars in some way, even though uh, in storyline, he is not allowed to be in New Japan anymore because uh, Eddie uh, Kingston ran him out of the company after, and then Hikaleo ran him out of Japan. So, uh, you know, maybe okay. he can still be part of the AEW roster and then maybe they can get into some kind of stipulation and get him back in where he can interact a little bit more. I guess there's, there's ways around this now, right, Jeremy? So here's where it gets a little tricky. Canonically, on a New Japan show during the New Japan Cup, during one of the Finley matches, they explained that at Battle in the Valley, or Kevin Kelly explained that at Battle in the Valley, uh, Bullet Club agreed to let Jay walk away from Bullet Club. Those were the words that they used as if he is no longer associated with Bullet Club, and he was done. Now, there's very easy hand-waving to undo all this, but... Is it going to be something that Bullet Club of the United States and AEW is not on the same page with Bullet Club of Japan? Is this going to be something that, like, everyone's on the same page? 
do we deal with this until Forbidden Door? Like, do we even bother dealing with this? These are all things that I kind of have questions about that, you know, like kind of left the table un unset, not made for dinner uh, when it comes to the Jay White scenario, because I, I'm not exactly sure that they were really planning for Jay White to be in, in AEW. I agree and, uh, and so they, they, they had an extra dinner guest and now they got to <laughs> figure it all out. And yeah. it's a great dinner guest to have. But and of course, there's definitely like there's definitely like thatches to navigate, and it's a tricky storyline. It's a tricky wicket, as they say. There, Uh, it's they can't just have Jay realign with Bullet Club. I mean, he got hit in the head with a shillelagh. Ghetto turned on him. I mean, these they can't just be suddenly all right with each other. So there's there's there are a lot of steps to take uh, uh, if they want to reconcile them, and they might not want to. It might be more interesting without, right? I mean, one of the things that we were talking about way back with Chris Sampson on this show was that there's still unresolved issues with Jay and Kenny Omega regarding Bullet mm-hmm. Club for the love of God. So uh, there are a lot of layers to all this, a lot of layers to all this. Is Jay White, does Jay White have any value if he's not a Bullet Club? Oh, sure. Jay White so has then, value wherever so then he is. Why does it, ma- it almost doesn't even matter. Like no, if he's I, in Bullet Club, great. If he's not in Bullet Club, great. I'm just curious. I'm just saying, there's, I'm just saying there's an, I'm just saying there's an elephant in the room. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very curious to how they navigate it because yeah. it, it also like it shows the level of exactly how much cooperation there are between the two companies, especially given all the other events that they have coming up in, in the summertime. Like exactly how much on the same page are these two companies? Everything yeah. seems well and good, but you know, once yeah. you get really into the thick of it, it can, can get really that can change at any time. You're yeah. Right. All right, so we have got uh, a lot coming out of that show in addition to just what we saw on it. Uh, so let's get into some of this now. Uh, there is going to be, so Shingo and Bushi are now uh, on a collision course. Zack Sabre Jr. and Tom Lawler. We're going to talk into the where's and when's here in a minute. Tama Tonga and David Finlay for the Never title. I have uh, all those cards after this. Yeah, so let's talk about when we're going to see some of these. now. And we also have a U.S. title number one contenders tournament to get into, but... I guess it all begins really Saturday at Capital Collision, which is a show that they're going to put on uh, this Saturday and then a show on Sunday that's going to make up the new version of uh, NJPW Strong, right? So these are going to be released on NJPW World in chunks, but you can order the shows live. Do I have all that correct, Jeremy? Yeah, it looks like they probably locked down the next eight weeks of programming for New Japan uh, On Demand. with these, uh, with these matches that they set up for the 15th and the 16th of this weekend. Yeah, Flaming well, Shark, let's... this is, uh, I believe, the main event of the Capital <laughs> Collision match. What in the world is this tag match? I'm here for it, but what am I looking at? I have the same question. So we have Kazushika Okada and Hiroshi Tanahashi, two of the most legendary figures in Japanese wrestling history. Let's just put that out there, first mm-hmm. of all. On the other side, you have the IWGP World Tag Team Champions, Aussie Open. And in the middle, we have the Motor City Machine Guns, the NJPW Strong Tag Team Champions, and it's for their belt. Who the hell is losing this match, Jeremy? I think Tanahashi is losing this match, and I think Brad Ryder made it clear earlier that this could be the potential Okada heel turn. But I don't think it's going to come here. But it, no, it couldn't. It could. It could be. You know, one of those. You know, he got angry, and then it gets kind of blown off, and just it's like, like seriously, oh, you drop this match, you lost this one. You know, it could be something like that. Just, you know just what I mean? One of those like pissy Okada. They have not updated this match since Aussie Open won the IWGP tag title. 
So we have the upper level titles not on the line in a match for the lower level titles. Could they unify the titles? I wouldn't think that they would do that because there is value for those strong title states that representing in New Japan. Yeah. But where do you go from it? Is Aussie Open, you know, now that Motor Machine Guns is an impact uh, contracted talent, do they put those belts on Aussie Open as well? Could they put it on Okada and Tanahashi? This is legitimately one of the most interesting matches of the entire weekend, given that they could do nothing and stay the course. Or they could put it on any one of these uh, teams, and it wouldn't, and it would be interesting. Yeah, it, it's an intriguing thing. I, I believe this is part of an angle, and I think the belts are going to stay right where they are here uh, if they decide to keep this as a strong title match. They Aussie Open don't need them. Okada and Tanahashi wouldn't know what to do with them, and they couldn't really be booked to defend them. So there really doesn't seem to be a whole lot uh, to, to do in this one other than do an angle out of it. So I think that is where it's going to go. Uh, Kenny Williams is going to be going to Forbidden Door, by the way. Uh, one of our uh, watchers right there. And uh, Flaming Shark would if he were any closer to him. Just reading some uh, user comments there. Appreciate you guys. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's going to be an intriguing match. I mean, these are three really good tag teams. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like like they said, I'm here for it. But it is a little bit of a wackadoo uh, booking thing. So I got to think it's an angle. That's just where I think. Because I don't see any other reason for this match to exist. For it being on the main event, it, there does seem to be angle or uh, energy to it. All right, what do we got next? All right, now up next now, we've got, uh, yeah, Kenta and Eddie Edwards. That's going to be for the strong title. This is all a capital collision on the 15th, by the way. So, And then we have now uh, Philadelphia on the 16th we're going to get to in a second. So starts off with a capital collision there. Kenta and Eddie Edwards for the strong title. Uh, should be interesting, but I see a retention here, don't you? Yeah, a lot of impact energy on this card. Uh, I, I still see Kenta. He's got a lot of mileage. Uh, stayed strong on the main roster, and I don't, I don't see him losing this, and I, I just think it's probably a, you know, a match to have. And Eddie Edwards is always pretty solid in the ring. Yeah. So uh, from there, uh, and there are other matches too, mostly uh, multi-man, uh, multi-person matches there that are going to uh, fill out the weeks of uh, New Japan Strong, and then we're going to head to Philadelphia. So from there, uh, in Philly on the 16th, it is this one here. Oh, sorry. And uh, as we get, oh, these are all, these are all for the 15th. Oh, for the 15th. Let's go over it then. Let's go. All right. I didn't, I I don't want to uh, slight your work. Let's do it. Uh, Uh Hiromu Takahashi and Tetsuya Naito against Sanada and Kanemaru. Of course, you know, again, we're talking about the rivalry between LIJ and just five guys. Heat up for the Dontaku matches. Yeah, this is an intriguing one. Tomohiro Ishii against El Desperado. That should be a good wrestling match anyway. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I am always here for an Ishii match. He is wrestling less and less, but when he does get in between the squared circle, it is always an enjoyable addition to the card. I tell you what, though, Ishii could use a win because one thing is he seems to just go everywhere and lose. I think he'll win that match against Desperado. Especially in AEW. Especially in AEW. They just kind of bring him in. It's like, oh, here he is. He lost again. This uh, match, uh, circle, circle, dot, dot. I, I like this one a lot. <laughs> Zach Saber Jr. and Tom Lawler uh, for the uh, the TV title there. So uh, that'll also they, be available on YouTube. They have teased this match for a considerable amount of time. I think we're going all the way back to the G1 uh, with the way that they feuded with each other in some of those uh, pre, pre-G1 pre tag matches and stuff like that. So this has been a long time coming, and I, I'm legitimately interested in what this could be. Yeah, and uh, you know, Zach's and Tom Lawler, of course, with Lawler's MMA background, Zach's submission fighting style, they could uh, have a lot of. I, I think they're going to get very creative with this one and have a lot of fun. One hundred percent. 
A.R. Fox versus David Finley. A.R. Fox is tremendous. He's not really a wrestler that I uh, truly love, but if we're reading the tea leaves, it feels like an enhancement match for David Finley to look good and move forward. Yeah, think? I think so. Yeah, I think so. It's just a chance to have a victory and over somebody pretty good. Uh, Kenny Williams thinks that Zach is going to tap out uh, Tom Lawler. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. Right. He's got a title. 15 yeah, minutes. Why not? You don't need it. Fred uh, Rothner and Juice Robinson. Well, this one, of course, is coming off of the San Jose match that you mm-hmm. were in attendance for. Uh, we can't go a show without mentioning As that. As was Flaming Shark. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Shark was there. Uh, so uh, Rossner and Juice, of course, Juice uh, helped uh, – cost roster the new japan uh, strong title so he is out for revenge against robinson let's pay attention to whether roster starts recruiting some other people for a larger bullet club feud against uh some of the people in bullet club because that could be the direction the heads it's a new dudes with attitudes jeremy who wouldn't want it <laughs> chuck taylor clark connors the dkc leo rush and rocky Romero. this is an all skate uh, and rocky romero there against volador jr mike bailey gabriel kidd kevin knight and kushida wanted to mention that uh, of course volador and rocky romero are in basically the top angle going in cmll right now over the historic welterweight championship that rocky romero recently took off of volador and then of course volador recently won a hair versus hair match and thank goodness he did because volador's locks are way too uh way too good looking to shave again although he, he did lose them once uh but uh again there that's headed toward a, a third match for to uh for volador to get that uh, welterweight title back so uh that's why they are front and center in this one despite a pretty uh pretty healthy lineup here this i mean this match will probably be an air show but it'll be a fun one oh yeah interesting side note chuck taylor wasn't originally in this match it was tomohiro ishii as the fifth man and then yeah. they moved him to the singles match and put chuck taylor ergo making two better matches out of one it's true. And of course, Clark Connors recently re-signed with New Japan. We're going to be One seeing a lot deal. more of him. He is Congratulations uh, to that media. dude. Yeah, happy to see him. All right, now we got to uh, the next night in Philly. Philadelphia. We're going back to the 2300 Arena, the old ECW Arena, the bingo hall. Uh, so uh, the, the, the venue that launched a thousand jokes about indie wrestling. We have the United Empire uh, against uh, Ishii, Tanahashi, and Leo Rush. So uh, you know, there's a lot here going on with, uh, I mean, it's a, a hodgepodge with Rush teaming with Ishii and uh, Tanahashi. But uh, so I, I kind of see the United Empire maybe getting a win here. You think? What do you think is going on with this one? Uh, those no, I don't know, but who loses on that side? I think somebody's getting the Coriolis. Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the Aussie maybe Leo. I could see Tanahashi taking a Coriolis. Right. Aussie opens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess so. I yeah, maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. They got the title, you know. Yeah. Maybe, uh, maybe. I think I he's know, talking. has got a tag match with the Jet Setters. Doesn't make any sense for him to be involved in the win. No, you're right. I yeah, and it, and it doesn't make any sense for him to take a loss because he's not in there with the contenders. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. Okay. Yep. I think you're right. This is a number one. This is part of the United States title match that will culminate at Dominion. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about this. They, they they are setting up basically for Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega again. Here's how they want to do it. U.S. title number one contender tournament. So we will see Lance Archer against Juice Robinson here in Philadelphia. We will see Will face Hiroshi Tanahashi at Resurgence on May 21st. That's going to be in Long Beach, California. Another uh, show like this one, uh, one here. Uh, 
And then the winners will meet at Dominion on June 4th. And that will determine who the number one contender for Kenny Omega is. Now, that match could be at Forbidden Door, could be at Wembley Stadium. We don't know. They haven't announced anything regarding that yet. Uh, we think right now we're leaning toward Forbidden the Door, image, but things could change. The image seems to highly suggest that it's a Forbidden Door graphic behind Kenny Omega. And it would make sense to uh, do the go back of the, the rematch of Omega and Osprey there. But plans according to change, Osprey's still injured. Uh, this is all presuming a lot of things have to go right instead of going wrong. So you thought there was a right. timing problem with putting that match in Wembley, didn't you? You thought there I, was one. I, I thought I thought there was a timing problem that uh, it makes more sense to do Forbidden Door and G1, but I need to chew on my thoughts on that before I before I commit them. Uh, yeah the sequence of events is, are going to be important here. Uh, now, of course, this is all assuming that we're correct, that Will Ospreay's winning G1, but we feel really confident about that, just like I felt really confident about Okada winning the match on uh, Sakura Genesis. So maybe we should just shut up and watch the show, right? But uh, uh, we, we, all, we have felt that the story of this year is Will Ospreay winning G1 for the first time and going into the Dome possibly as a baby face against maybe an asshole heel Okada or somebody else, you know, there's, there's other ways it could go, but we felt like that. If that is the case, then you'd have the G one winner challenging for the U S title, which is clumsy. It so, is incredibly clumsy, especially like, not impossible, but we don't want to put a, put in a position, especially after you merge the IC title and the IWGP title to merge two more titles into one. Because if you have Osprey with a title leaving G1, challenging for another title, it's messy, it's clumsy. I'm just, I know that they can do better because they're way too much talent on that roster than to just commit to the two guys with the O's that start their name of Osprey and Okada and ignore the fact that there's uh, a dozen other guys that could hold that title and ball out while doing it. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Flaming Shark's working stiff today, by the way. He says Tanahashi's going to eat pins every night until Okada Rainmakers him into retirement. I mean, I that's one say. way to submit. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, there is hey, uh, there's no doubt that if you were to do Omega versus Osprey at Wembley in front of 60 to 80,000 people, it would probably tear the house down. But there are logistics to that right now that would make it so that the Tokyo Dome main event would appear to be uh, a second to that to that to me because you're putting Osprey in a bigger main event for a different promotion when he is one of your top stars and you should have him positioned to be crowned as a top star in your promotion, not elsewhere. That's, that's where I'm at. It's a lot of moving parts to this stuff. Yes. There really is. And, uh, and we, especially with all these big events, because you have to service Forbidden Door. New Japan has to, of course, has to service the G1. It's one of their key things. And then all of that has to somehow lead into a little bit of cooperation for, well, you know what? It doesn't necessarily have to lead to cooperation for Wembley. There is no thing that's not a New Japan That's AEW what I'm saying. Show. This is an AEW yeah. show. And, that, and that's an important thing to remember. It, it, it feels like Will Ospreay is a natural addition to that show, but maybe somewhere a little bit underneath the main events where he just is somebody who gets a win on a big show in England and everybody's happy to see a Londoner get a victory. That's always AEW possible. AEW having Ospreay as a sub-main event at the Wembley show is fantastic. It's actually 
kind of telling of AEW if you need Will Ospreay in your main event uh, at this show and you don't have stars of your own to put in here to sell this to sell the main event of the show. That if- that is kind of a kind of the elephant in the room for me. It's like you need Will Ospreay to do this. Maybe you shouldn't have booked it. It's a very ambitious thing. That stadium is huge. It's bigger than the stadium that they ran SummerSlam in, which is the last big wrestling show there that they had with Bret Hart and Davey Boy Smith on top, which drew fantastic. This version of Wembley is bigger than that one. This place is gigantic. So it's a very ambitious thing. So I think they are going to need to bring in something special to help out with. It's not a question. You could always have them defend the briefcase. Like it's a title match, you know, a little bit there. You could always do that because that was Okada's thing that you shouldn't have to, not, not Osprey's thing. So, yeah, there's ways. So, so, uh, so the Philadelphia show is super hot because we have completely pivoted to talk yeah. about Forbidden Door off. Yeah, there. sorry, yes. <laughs> but we will get back to this. I'm going to go with uh, – I'm going to go with Chief Robinson on this one. Yeah, me too. I, I don't really see the point in uh, going – sending Archer to uh, to uh, Dominion. So. Yeah. And Naito and Takahashi, again, we're doing the previews here. Naito and Takahashi is a team, which is pretty cool, against Kenta and Chase Owens, which should tell us what we need to know about where the Tongan section of Bullet Club has landed. It seems like it is allied with the rest of it. Uh, Of course, they weren't on this tour, so we didn't get to see Fale, Chase Owens, and all that. Uh, So we're going to assume that they're on board with the firing of ELP. Yeah, this this seems like a match. I'm curious to see where they go with it, but uh, the fact that you know Philadelphia is getting Naito and Hiromu uh, in the middle of April, seems like a win for this crowd, and I'm I'm happy for him. Let's do it. Orange Cassidy replacing Eddie Kingston. Uh, that was this was originally going to be Eddie Kingston in this spot against Gabriel Kidd, and you brought this up when the switch was made. This is a big change, mm-hmm. but might lead to a more interesting match than the consistent uh, forearms and uh, forearms and chop fest that we've seen from Gabriel Kidd. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to do something different with Orange. This definitely would have been a different match than the one he was going to have with Eddie Kingston, which was going to be a lot of those power moves, suplexes, the things that Gabriel Kidd does well. But I have not, to my knowledge, seen him in a match with someone like Orange Cassidy. So this has become the eyebrow-raising match of the weekend for me, where I'm just like, let's see what we got here, because... It was quite the choice to bring Orange Cassidy in. Uh, Tony Khan gets really weird with how he decides to make up <laughs> matches for promotions. Some matches, some promotions like, yeah, you can have this guy. And the other matches like, yeah, we're going to give you Orange Cassidy. And you're just like, what? Oh, okay. So, you know, the, the dude is trying to make good, but his make good are super weird when it comes to uh, make up matches. I hope Eddie Kingston is doing okay. He seems to be missing a lot of wrestling lately. Yeah, I, I hope he is too. I'm a big fan of the dude. I, I just think he's uh, fantastic in everything he does there. So hopefully he's all right. But yeah. Fred Rosser and Rocky Romero against Sonata and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. So uh, this does not bode well for Fred and Rocky. Uh, it's a weird matchup anyway, just because Rocky's a heel and Rosser's not. And uh, Sonata and Kanemaru both have uh, huge uh, matches coming up where. They need to look good. So uh, I, I think uh, is be... also the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. So. <laughs> yeah, and and and, Kano, and Kanemaru is challenging for the junior title. So uh, uh, I don't like uh, I don't like Rocky's chances. I guess is my main thing. I think they might protect I Fred. I don't know. I think I think they might uh, save Rocky for Volador still, and then uh, uh, save maybe. Fred. 
Maybe. Ugh, Either way. <laughs> you got TMDK. So this is going to be Bad Dude Tito, uh, Shane Haste, and Zack Sabre Jr. against Team Filthy. And uh, so, yeah, I, you know, they're going to have their match the night before. This is going to be uh, the residual of that one. I don't know what else to say about this. I don't either. I moved <laughs> <Yeah>. on. <laughs> Alex Coughlin against Tracy Williams. That should be interesting. And it'll be a good match. And, uh, uh, you know, we, are, we are getting to the lower part of this card where there's really just not much to say about it. Yeah. And Delirious and Kevin Knight against El Desperado and Volador Jr. So, uh, again, we're getting a kind of an odd couple thing going there a little bit. Although Desperado is not really a heel anymore. But, uh, yeah. It, and these are going to be matches that are going to fill out some of the weeks on NJPW Strong, on, on uh, NJPW on NJPW World. So, you know, and you got you to fill the hour. Now that now that we had these matches announced, it became abundantly clear that they were prepping us for the weeks that were to come actually in Japan. Yeah. And, so, right, and we have magic now. Yeah. And then we have uh, the road to Dantaku will begin on the 20th. And that's going to be a bunch of shows, preview tags and the various things. Uh, one other thing I want to do before we get to Dantaku is mention that uh, Hiroki Goto's 20th anniversary show will be on the 22nd. So that's kind of a cool uh, anniversary of his career is going to be Goto, Yoshihashi and Yo against House of Torture in a main event there. And then on the 29th, I want to mention this one too, Satsuma no Kuni. That's going to be in Kagoshima. That's going to be where we see Shingo Takagi against Taichi for the King of Pro Wrestling title. And we're also going to see that tag team match for uh, Supremacy of uh, Australia, Aussie Open against TMDK. That's going to be on that show. So uh, that's the 29th, leading to Don Taku on May 3rd. So just in case we didn't have anything to talk about, I don't think we have to worry about that. I think we're going to have plenty to discuss. And of course, we'll get into those cards as they approach. Don Taku on May 3rd. Doki in a special singles match against uh, Tetsuya Naito. What else do we have there? Those are actually road. To is that a road match? There are three road to Tataku matches. That, oh, okay, okay, uh, that okay. They have set up before the Hatsumi no Kani. Oh gosh, uh, I believe. Uh, so they are uh, Naito versus Doki. Yep. We also have the Jet Setters versus Catch Two uh, Two. Yeah. Kevin Knight. Kushida versus uh, Francisco Akira and TJ Perkins. That's so, for the uh, IWGP Junior Tag Team. Yes, yeah, sir. And then we have the Junior Heavyweight Tag Title Match between Yoshinobu Kanemaru and Hiromu Takahashi. Set up some nice little uh, main events for those road shows. It was very interesting that uh, Kanemaru served as the gatekeeper before we get to the main matches in the dun wrestling Duntaku, which we'll get to in a second. So we had those matches that you mentioned previously for Satsuma. Yeah. I mentioned them because they appeared to be fully uh, affiliated New Japan matches, including a King of Pro Wrestling title match. And so now we'll move on to the Duntaku main card. Yeah, so we're going to see a young lion match here. So we have Oiwa and Nakashima against uh, Loibe and... Uh, Ole, uh, Bolton Oleg, uh, who is, uh, like I mentioned last time, incredibly, this guy is still ranked in the top 10 in the world at 125 kilograms in amateur wrestling. So, And yeah, big grudge match here. Hikaleo against uh, against uh, Kenta. Yep. And so far, uh, and, I, and it's going to be in a Japanese show I, and on Dantaku, perhaps the strong title on the line. They can't announce that yet because he has a title match coming up. Uh, Kenta does. So uh, possibly a title match down the road. We don't know yet. Yeah, I think I think we're we're getting to title match territory for him. And then same uh, same thing here. They can't announce this as a title match, and it might not be, but it probably will be. Zach Saber Jr. and Jeff Cobb. 
And yeah, okay. So now this is going to be the curious thing here. Uh, we have Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, and Ren Narita. Who Excuse has... me, Stephen Conway. Go ahead. Speaking of strong style. <laughs> Speaking of strong style. They have the team strong style here. Uh, so uh, against Kazuchika Okada and two mystery partners. We don't know who yet. Will it be Hiroshi Tanahashi? Will he have already turned on Hiroshi Tanahashi? Will this be the night he turns on Hiroshi Tanahashi? There's a lot. That we can get into on this. What do you thing. think, Anahashi and Shota Umino? Could be, and maybe he just tells them all to screw off after that. And then what happens and, to Chaos? I mean, slowly but surely, they all just kind of follow the lead. I'm like, you know what? We keep losing. Why don't we? Why don't we follow the uh, follow the road? Yeah. Oh, and and Brad Reader makes a good point about that young lion match. It's a gauntlet match, and uh, yeah, it is a gauntlet match. So not a not the traditional uh, type of thing. There, he's absolutely correct. And uh, the winner's going to get a TV title shot, uh, apparently. So according to Brad. So man, there you go. And then this one week's I this one I expect a title change. I just don't see how Tomatonga gets out of this one uh, unscathed against David Finlay for the never open weight title. It just makes a lot of sense, doesn't it, to put this thing on Finlay now? The only X factor is ELP. That is really the only yeah. X factor. Um, I could see it, um, but I could also see ELP returning at a later date after he has the never open weight title. Definitely a curious match. Uh, we kind of pinged it before the New Japan Cup ever started, and it feels good to finally see it manifesting. Okay. Yeah, and then there it is. Uh, Dontaku, we are expecting uh, Hiromu Takahashi to uh, beat Kanemaru on the road here and get to uh, Sonata for that big match between uh, former LIJ teammates and, of course, the junior heavyweight champion and the heavyweight champion. Yeah, this, uh, we didn't really have the anniversary show matchup between the junior heavyweight champion and the heavyweight champion, and we were both kind of pinging that it was something that was going to happen, and then we got the tag match with Bishamon and Okada and Tanahashi instead, and I thought, that's really interesting that they didn't do it, but you know they kind of waited until Dontaku because it kind of lined up with the story instead, so kind of into it. <laughs> So other than that, not a whole lot going on, Jeremy. Pretty boring no. week. Yeah, it feels like there was nothing to talk about. <laughs> no, it's been uh, fascinating. And then, uh, as mentioned before, the uh, best of the Super Junior uh, will begin not long after that. And then we have some dates for the G1 Climax uh, Tournament. Of course, that's uh, back in its usual spot in uh, mid-July to mid-August. Uh, all uh, shows in uh, Japan this year. I don't see anything going on mm-hmm. uh, in the U.S. on uh, this version of it. And, of course, uh, the usual couple of dates in Osaka, touring around the country, some uh, key moments there in uh, Tokyo, all leading to the finals and then, uh, you know, the, the, the block finals and then the finals themselves uh, should be pretty exciting. And, of course, as, as we get lineups and uh, blocks, We'll be talking a heck of a lot more. This is kind of where this show began, Jeremy. We started talking when we first started this Capital show. Capital Collision last year in May was our first show. Oh, can you imagine that? It's almost a year. We've almost we have done, done a year of these things. shows. We have done Gosh. 41. We went bi-weekly at first because, you know. Too, we too much to talk about. We didn't know what to do. We too much to talk nervous. about. We were getting nervous, but now you can't shut us up. So. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's definitely, wow, the G1 made everyone climax. Kenny Williams. Kenny's going to need zone. a cigarette. Yeah, he's in the danger zone now. This <laughs> is <laughs> uh, a G1 heavily, heavily suggested to be four brackets again with two semifinals and a final on the last night, uh, as Meltzer had mentioned. And if you look at the calendar, it looks a lot like it did last year. And there are pluses and minuses to that. 
but the G1 is special. We were talking about was it going to be the same last year, and then we watched it, and then it ended up being the finals being the match of the year, according to several people. Uh, and I and I'm here for it all over again, man. It's the best time of the year. Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> It's my favorite time too. So best of the super juniors though, close behind it though. And I'm, and especially with, like you mentioned, the possibilities of wrestlers coming in for this thing. It's, it's just, there's so many good matches that are, are coming our way. Uh, both of the things that we laid out here and the events that are coming up in Philadelphia and then in Washington and then part of Don Taku and everything else. Uh, best of super juniors G1. My goodness, we're going to be watching a lot of good wrestling. Uh, if you need to take a break from New Japan, I'd suggest, you know, using the next couple weeks to binge because once you get into <laughs> May, June, July, August, give me busy, give me busy, <laughs> make, make, fill out your calendar and, and set up your time. Cause if you need to get caught up, we'll be here every week at two fifteen on Tuesdays. And we will tell you everything you need to know, because I promise you there's going to be a lot to unpack over the next four months. That's 2.15 p.m. California time. That's uh, what 5.15 out in the East Coast, 4.15 where I am here in Texas. So, yeah, and uh, I guess those folks out there in Colorado, it's uh, 3.15. So all that stuff, you can find it all. We're at 2.15 California time. We're here uh, just about every week. And uh, I think we're just about done with this one. Uh, we're going to, of course, be back with more coverage of everything that happened uh, over the course of those shows in the United States and then look forward to the shows coming up from there. We're going to be talking a lot more about stardom in Yokohama. Maybe we'll get some Super Junior uh, bracketing. I think we will. There's going to be some announcements made toward that. So uh, all of it here uh, we're going to be uh, covering on Speaking of Strong Style. So anything you want to plug before we go, Jeremy? Uh, I think you're going to be on a show later this, well, later this month, aren't you? Yeah, I'll be on the wrap later this month talking all things WWE. Uh, we got a Discord it. invite. If you want to join the Fight Game Media Discord, email gg at fightgamemedia.com. Tell them you were watching the Speaking of Strong Style show and wanted to, wanted to get in on the fun, and we will have you in there in no time. My Twitter handle is jerfinestone. I use it less and less because Twitter is a cesspool of hate. But you can <laughs> yes, still find me there from time to time lurking. If you have any questions about me and or the show, Stephen Conway, take it away. All right. And of course, my history website, ringsidereplay.com. I'm right there at Stephen Conway 88 on Twitter. And uh, Kenny Williams said some nice things. Thank you, Kenny. Appreciate that. Appreciate everybody that watched us live this week. And definitely appreciate all of you who listen uh, to this show later or on a podcast. We're really grateful. We love doing this. We have such a great time. And the interaction with you guys makes it a lot better. So we appreciate all the feedback and, and the uh, interaction. It's always a great time. So for Jeremy Feinstone, I'm Stephen Conway. Thanks for watching Speaking of Strong Style. We'll see you again next week. Be back soon.